Hello, and welcome back to Parallel Passion. This podcast is free, so I would like to sincerely thank everyone who supports it on Patreon. If you wish to join those awesome people, go to patreon.com slash or follow the link in the show notes. In this episode, I'm joined by Casey Liss. You probably know him as one-third of the most interesting tech podcast out there. He also does YouTube and writes a fantastic blog. You'll hear us discuss podcasting, what got him interested in cars, why you shouldn't argue online, how to start running, and many other interesting topics. Enough for the intro, here's Casey. Hi Casey, welcome to Parallel Passion. Hello, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing great, how about you? I am well, thank you. What time is it there? Because it's early in the morning here, which is my own choice. That uh, You didn't force me to do this or anything. But I got to imagine it, it is much later where you are. It's not that late. It's 3 p.m. Oh, okay. That's not so terrible. I mean, the, that's why I have the scheduling window open long in night because, you know, you you in, on the other side of the world. Indeed. Yeah. It's, you know, it's... I probably shouldn't be surprised and impressed that two people who have never met in person can talk to each other in real time across the whole friggin' planet. But <laughs> every once in a while, you have to sit back and say to yourself, you know, technology is pretty cool. It's surprising what we can do these days. And I know that, that Skype has existed for a long time. And I know that even telephones could do this, you know, at $1,000 a minute or whatever <laughs> uh, for, for 20, 30 years. But I don't know. Every once in a while, I just have to sit back and remind myself, like, we're living in the future, man. This is this is kind of incredible that we're that you and I are able to do this just kind of off the cuff. I mean, we we prepped a little, but not a whole lot, and uh, and we could just do this from from across the planet, which is super cool. Yeah, yeah, it is it is um, insane. Like the the whole uh, thing, if you if you think about it, like I don't know, fifty years ago, there's no way our paths would ever even cross. Like I wouldn't know, I would not know you existed at all. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. Vice versa. Yeah, it's it's really fantastic, and uh, we should all. As much as there's plenty of things for us to whine about, I think we should also be, we should all, and myself included, also be a little more thankful about uh, what, what we have in front of us, which is super cool. Okay, so I'm pretty sure most of our, my listeners know who you are, but like, can you give a, a brief intro for like those five of <laughs> five people that don't know who you are? <laughs> I think you might be overselling my quote unquote fame, but I would be happy to. So my name is Casey Liss. I am a developer by... Once profession, and uh, and I have recently left my regular job of being a full-time uh, iOS developer in order to concentrate on some of the other things I do, most namely podcasting. Uh, you might know me from my podcast with friends called the Accidental Tech Podcast at atp.fm. Uh, there, Marco Arment, John Syracuse, and myself talk about Apple and other associated things. We actually recorded last night and talked a fair bit about waffle makers, believe it or not. That's not <laughs> a joke. So um, if you haven't heard ATP, I encourage you to listen to this last one because it, it was a very... A very stereotypical ATP, and I mean that in a good way. We talked about the upcoming Apple event. We talked about food. We talked about uh, Macs when we should have been talking about iPads. It's <laughs> typical ATP. Uh, you may also know me. You may also know me from uh, my podcast with my friend Mike Hurley called Analog, which is on the Relay Network, and maybe even from my website uh, caseylist.com, my YouTube channel where I review cars every once in a while, and I don't know other things like Instagram. Yeah, um, it's it's quite a lot of things. And um, I, I would say one more thing for ATP. It's it's the only uh, tech podcast where you discussed emojis for like three hours or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is the Emoji Rap podcast with, uh, with 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 Jeremy Burge, but yeah, I guess that's not really a tech podcast in the traditional <laughs> sense. Uh, also, I owe you an apology. 
because I listened to the most recent episode of this podcast where you had uh, Eric Berlin on, and you had mentioned that you had a string of very fancy, very famous Rubyists. I don't recall what the term was for them, but I I have... yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Ruby heroes. I have written approximately three lines of Ruby in my entire life, and so I am letting you down in that capacity, and I am (laughs) sorry for that, but hopefully we can make up for it with our conversation that's coming. Yeah, you're you're breaking the streak, but I mean, I've written many more lines of Ruby but uh, I'm nowhere, nowhere close to being Ruby Hero. So there you go. Fair enough. Okay, so I guess we can just start with, with podcasting since you brought it up. Um, how, did you, how did you get into it? Like, when did it all begin? Was it neutral, the first one, or was there something before that? Like, how, how, did, how did it all begin? Yeah, so I had been a personal friend of Marco Arment's for, uh, I don't know, 20 years now or something like that. We met when we were kids, And we were close when we were really young and then kind of fell out of touch with each other, not in an angry way, just, you know, we lived, he lived in Ohio, I lived in various states in the northeast of the United States and then the Midwest of the United States, and we just kind of fell out of touch. And then around the time that Tumblr was becoming a thing, and not too long after that, his show, his wonderful show with Dan Benjamin on 5x5 called Build It Analyze, that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And Marco and I kind of got back into touch with each other. I think each of us blames the other for being the one to reach out after all those years. I thought he might have reached out to me. He said I reached out to him. Who knows what the reality <laughs> is? But one way or another, you know, we, we, we got back in touch with each other. And since this was a friend of mine doing this weird podcast thing, I thought, well, let me check it out. And of course, since he's a developer, I'm a developer. I loved it. And and I loved it irrespective of the fact that he's a personal friend of mine. And so once you start listening to Build and Analyze, and this happened a lot with 5x5, maybe still does. It certainly happens a lot with Relay. Once you listen to one show, there's all the follow out and cross chatter with all the <laughs> other shows. So yeah. Build and Analyze meant I started listening to Hypercritical, which is probably the best tech podcast that has ever been recorded that was with john syracusa um and dan benjamin and then that led to the talk show which led to me having way too many podcasts not enough time to listen to them (laughs) so that's how i became a consumer but then around the time that marco was done with build and analyze i had thought you know it would be fun to talk about cars because I mean, car podcast existed, but I wasn't, none of them had really entered my world. And, you know, we have, we have a different take Marco and I on cars because we're nerds. And, you know, of course we like the, you know, eight, you know, eight, eight to 12 cylinders with, you know, 8,000 horsepower if possible, you know, grunt, you know, cue the, cue the, 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 you know, the caveman grunting (laughs) here, but you get the idea. But even though we enjoy those things, we also care about the technology, the technology in the cars and, and the interior fit and finish of a car. And so I kept saying to Marco, Hey, we should do a car show. We should do a car show. We should do a car show. And of course, he said, nah, you know, that's all right. And then when Build and Analyze ended, he said, well, I kind of miss podcasting, even though I didn't really want to do tech podcasting anymore. Maybe we should do it. And this, I am sure of, Marco had the the genuinely brilliant idea to ask John, who had also just finished Hypercritical, hey, you want to join us and we'll do a car show and we'll do it for a few episodes and see what happens. And did you guys know each other before that or not really? John and me? Yeah, a little bit. So I had met John, I believe, in line for the keynote at my first WWDC in 2011. Mm -hmm. And the timeline we're talking about now is the very end of 2012, very beginning of 2013. So I'd known John casually for about a year. I didn't know him well, but I knew him well enough that it didn't completely freak me out that I was talking to John Syracuse on a podcast. It did some, for sure, but it, did, it wasn't like, you know, uh, totally terrifying and, and crippling. 
So in January of 2013, we launched Neutral, which is still out there at neutral.fm. And it was, you know, three nerds talking about cars. And really, we should have known better, but we did it anyway. And <laughs> in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, Neutral will probably always be my first podcast love from a from a producer point of view or, or a creator point of view, because I was so I was so young and innocent and didn't know any better. And I mean, it's not that long ago. It's like five years, right? No, but it feels like an eternity. I mean, you're right. It really isn't that long in the grand scheme of things, but it feels like three lifetimes ago. And and so I was so innocent and, and we were so innocent in a lot of ways. And it turns out that three nerds talking about cars, not that exciting. Nobody really paid attention. But of course, you put three nerds on the microphone together, three friends that are nerds on the microphone together, and we'll end up talking about computery stuff. And so... After we recorded neutral, we started record or we, we left the recordings running and we started talking about, you know, Apple stuff and nerdy stuff. And Marco had the second brilliant idea of, hey, let me just put this. I think it was on SoundCloud at the time. Speaking of Eric, hmm. um, let me put this on SoundCloud and see if anyone really cares about this kind of post show banter that that was about, you know, nerdy stuff. And hey, guess what? Three nerds talking about nerdy stuff, that actually has legs. But <laughs> three nerds talking about cars, nobody cares. <laughs> and so what ended up happening over time is that we realized, okay, even though we really love Neutral, and I still do, and I still miss that show, and we kind of channel that in ATP. Well, yeah, you have it in the outro sometimes, you know. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say is that it, it started as what, be you know, we'll do tech in the kind of after show of Neutral. Then suddenly the tech became the show and neutral became the after show and everything kind of flipped on its head. And and so we started really embracing ATP. I want to say it was April of 2013. And now it's you know almost six years later. Is that right? Golly, almost six <laughs> years later. And uh, and we're still going strong, knock on wood. So that's kind of my backstory. How did you get into it? You had you had made a you talked a little bit about this last episode, but what was your path into becoming a podcaster? Well, I don't know. I am I think it started because I am. I wanted to talk about with developers about other stuff than development. Like every time I was at conference, I never talk about development. Mm -hmm. I was always interested in like what the other things are that people are doing, and, and then I started listening to a lot of podcasts. Like you said, once you start with one, then it's like oh, the mention of the other one, then oh, yeah. to the other one, and then suddenly I'm listening to the whole Relay FM <laughs> just to understand <laughs> what's happening on ATP. Yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, I don't know. With with that, I was like, well, I guess I could do this as well, and but I would want to do it in a different way because there are a lot of these interview shows, but they are all following like the same. Um, kind of, um, I don't know how how to say, but the same kind of template. Yeah. Like they they all have those same kind of questions prepared for everyone, and everyone every episode is exactly the same. Only the answer change slightly. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to do something completely else. I want to talk about hobbies, about what people do, like outside development. So on on one hand, because I want to talk about this. On the other hand, because I want to showcase that you know developers. Uh, can do more stuff it's not it's not only stereotype of being like in basement coding all night long <laughs> um, you know we can do other things and also um it gives me a way to speak with people i want to talk to for an hour yeah you know there's there's no way i can just call you up out of the blue and like hey do you have like time for an hour i want to chat with you and you'll be like nah, no <laughs> yeah it, it's funny you said that i was listening to like i mentioned the, the, the episode with eric and and you had made kind of the same speech on on that episode yeah. and i was like oh come on i put it 
no, he's right. I probably would have been like, who are you? Uh, what, why, why do you need an hour of my time? Tell me more. So I totally hear you. And I think, I think it's really smart. And, and the nice thing is, is that you've, you're, you're good enough and, you, and you've got the skills to make something enjoyable out of it. And so it's not well, just... Trying. <laughs> well, I think you're succeeding. Uh, it's, it's not just, you know, somebody like me or Eric or somebody else, you know, coming on and talking, talking to somebody for an hour just for funsies. You're, you're making good quality content out of it, which is, which is really awesome. Well, cool. Thanks. Uh, I, I'm glad you like it. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to talk more about... Um, now, yeah, you said you quit your jobby job and now mm-hmm. basically podcasting is your jobby job like it's it's the main income generator for you right and um i really don't know how to ask this but um yeah let's go with how does that make you feel (laughs) yeah you know it's 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 a fair question it's it's been an adjustment and let me preface everything i'm about to say by recognizing that i am profoundly deeply lucky to have been able to even consider doing something as as foolish and reckless as i've done let alone actually committing to it and and I don't want to sound like I, I hope I, I sound like I, I realize how lucky I am because I am pr- just tremendously, profoundly, incredibly lucky. And for the most part, it has been magnificent. It's been incredible to be able to choose what I want to work on. Uh, I don't think I'm doing a very good job yet of choosing things that are lucrative to work on. <laughs> <laughs> just yesterday, I was fiddling with uh, with uh, an, an Xcode project and an iOS and Mac app that I kind of want for myself that I don't think would ever make any money. And I don't know if the App Store would even allow it anyway. But uh, this is not something that is very lucrative, but I spent like two hours on it yesterday just because I could. And I really wanted to scratch that itch and get it out of my system. And most developers know that feeling, you know, mm-hmm. hey, I wonder if I could. And the next thing you know, it's four weeks later. And the answer <laughs> has been the answer has been decided, but you may not have anything useful to show for it. Um, but yeah, to more directly answer your question, I, I, I really am enjoying it. It's been incredible to be at home uh, for for my wife and our two small children. We have a, a little boy who's going to be turning four in just a few days. And uh, we had our daughter at the beginning of this year. So she will be one. Uh, in in January. And so being available for them has been incredible. Generally speaking, the mornings are mine to do work. Mm -hmm. And then the afternoons are sometimes family, sometimes work. It kind of depends on what my particular load is at the time. Um, It is utterly terrifying. It is extraordinarily, utterly terrifying to be by yourself. It is freeing, but it's terrifying because when you have a traditional jobby job and and obviously I'm talking as an American, but I suspect this is true in most places in the world. When you have a traditional jobby job, it is not terribly likely that that's just going to up and disappear tomorrow. It certainly could happen. I'm not mm-hmm, saying it mm-hmm. can't happen, but it's not terribly likely. And usually, if that sort of thing is going to happen, in a lot of cases, you're going to kind of smell it coming. You know, there's going to be a round or two or three or 10 of layoffs, or you're going to notice that the company's financials aren't getting, aren't, aren't nearly as green as they once were. Yeah. And so usually you can kind of smell that coming. Whereas it could be that tomorrow, all of podcasting money dries up and we had no idea. I think you would also smell it coming. I, mean, I suspect you're right. And and another thing is like you are a software developer. You are one of the most well, we I guess are one of the most employable uh things right now like uh, professions right now. Yeah. Um if if you wanted to get a job, you can easily get a job, right? Yeah, I I completely it, agree. It's not like you're unemployable or something. <laughs> well, give me a little more time and maybe I'll never be able to have a boss again. But no, I totally take your point. Then you can learn Ruby, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh but I I think I think that's what really put me over the edge and and convinced me, you know what? 
I can try this because exactly what you said in a worst case scenario, if, if the podcasting money just dries up, and by the way, I agree with you, I think we'll know it in advance, but just for the sake of discussion, the podcast money dries up, then what happens? And the answer is you just put on your big boy shoes and pants and get a job. <laughs> and and that's not that's not a bad thing. That's not necessarily a failure. And and what I what my wife and I agreed is, hey, if we can make this last until my eldest is in kindergarten, which is about three years from now, Mm -hmm. then that is magnificent. Then Mm -hmm. we have, when, you know, we have accomplished what we've set out to accomplish and life is good because at that point, little girl will be almost four, you know, he'll be six ish, give or take a little bit. And then I will have had that really critical time when he is at home a lot that, that I was at home a lot as well. And then our win the lottery. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that we were ever this lucky goal is if, if I could last until my little girl is in kindergarten, so another five ish years. And if we can do that, then at that point, both the kids will be in school and Aaron will probably, my wife will probably be kicking me out of the house at that point. Saying, <laughs> I, I need some breathing room. Uh, no, she's a very lovely woman. I'm very lucky to have married her. I kid, I kid, but, um, but no, I I think you get my point is that, you know, if, if I can somehow figure out a way to make this last for at least three and as many as five years, then then I will be overjoyed. And at that point, it's a lot less egregious or painful, hopefully, to get a traditional job. Well, worst case scenario, if advertising like dries up, you can start just touring the country and, and like having live <laughs> ATP all the time. <laughs> you know, that thought has crossed my mind. But um, of the three of us, I don't know if I really have the pull that the other two do. And either way, the whole point of me being independent was to be home with the kids and yeah. the wife. And and obviously, if I'm traveling around the country, I, I know you say that in jest, but the thought <laughs> really had crossed my mind. You know, what, what would happen? What could I do? And and I the reality of the situation is, you know, being at home is kind of the whole point. But but yeah, I mean, all in all, it's been magical. It's been magnificent. It's been wonderful. Something as silly as choosing to wash my car at 10 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Like, how amazing is that? I'm so lucky that I could do that if I so choose. And maybe some people don't really enjoy washing their car, but I do. I think you're the only one who does, you know? Yeah, well, it might be, but (laughs) I I enjoy doing it. And so being able to just decide if I so choose at 10 o'clock in the morning, hey, I'm going to go wash my car right now. I can do that. And that's magnificent. On the downside, because I live in America and we're the most backwards forward country in the world, <laughs> I pay more for healthcare than I do for my home, which is completely barbaric and asinine. But that's the world in which I live. And so, you know, there's there's ups and downs, but it's been extremely, extremely great so far. This has been since July-ish that this has been going on, and we're currently rounding out the end of October. So, I mean, it's almost been six months now, and and so far, so good, and we'll see how long I can make it last. Yeah, and speaking of washing cars, um, you, what got you interested in cars in the first place? Like, I, I read that your father was a mechanic for Buick or something. Yeah, where did I talk about that? You're exactly right, but I'm surprised you were able to dig that up. Very impressed. But didn't he also work for IBM? That, that's yes. something I was yes. confused about. So I wasn't sure if my sources are correct or not. No, no, no. No, you, you got it. You got it dead on, actually. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not perturbed at all that you knew this. I'm just surprised that you were able to dig it up. I'm very impressed. Um, the, so dad, when he was a kid, well, not a kid, when he was a young adult, uh, he went to school for a swimming scholarship. He was a, he was a phenomenal swimmer when he was very young and ended up dropping out uh, of school. He was studying to be an engineer. 
dropped out and just decided to be a mechanic at Buick for a while. And mm-hmm. he had always been an amateur mechanic, but then he became a professional mechanic. And the story I'd been told, and who knows if it's true or not, but the story I'd been told <laughs> from dad is that after a couple of years of just kind of floundering and in, in doing that, which I'm not trying to say that, that being a mechanic is bad. In fact, blue collar jobs are in ever more demand, at least here in America. But I, I think dad, that, that, that was dad's kind of calling from a fun point of view, but not his calling from a professional point of view. Right. And so uh, the story I was told was that one day my grandfather, his dad, uh, went out to him when my dad was about to go to work or maybe go to his then girlfriend's house or something like that. And mm-hmm. the story I'm told is that my grandfather pulled my father out of his car and said, that's enough. You need to go back to school. And so uh, dad went to a local university in the New York area, studied to be a CPA, a certified public accountant, and ended up having a couple of jobs, uh, I think mostly with regard to auditing, which is how he ended up meeting my mom. And then my mom's dad, so my other grandfather, had been an IBMer for 15, 20 years or something like that at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've heard conflicting reports as to how many favors he called in <laughs> or if it was just that like he put my dad in front of the right person and then walked away. So who knows how it really happened. But uh, one way or another, my, my, my maternal grandfather, my mom's dad, set my dad up with an interview at IBM and fast forward 30 years and my dad retired a few years ago having spent something like 30 years at IBM. Right. And all that tangent, um, did that get you interested in cars or what oh, was right. it? Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. So, so this, you'll have to cut all of that. It's totally No, it's fine. fine. Just, it's fine. Um, yeah. So so growing up, um, so growing up, my dad always had like some sort of project. And typically that was automotive. It wasn't always. Uh, there was a window of time where he spent a lot of time building a very, very fancy in-home stereo. There was a window of time where he collected a handful of pinball machines and restored them. Hmm. But typically, it was cars. And so when my parents got married, they went home from their wedding in a 1977 Corvette, which was my dad's daily driver at the time. And he had that car until I was 16. And I love my parents to death. I I really do. But one of the three or four unforgivable things that they have done to me in my 36 years is selling that Corvette before I got my driver's license. (laughs) Now, on the flip side of it, I'm probably talking to you right now expressly because they sold that car before I got my driver's <laughs> license. But nevertheless, it, it is something I will never forgive them for. But anyway, uh, dad was driving it one day and totaled it and he was fine. He walked away from it, but the car was ruined hmm. and he ended up bu- rebuilding it from the frame up, which I don't know if that's something you find often where you are, but here in the part of America that I live in, it's a very rare thing to see. Yeah, it's rare here as well. Yeah. And so he spent something like a year or two building it all from the frame up. And and it's funny because I have tremendous interest in cars, I think because of watching dad build the vet and watching dad work on cars. But I, w- I never really picked up any of his practical knowledge. I can tell you a lot of theoretical things about cars, but <laughs> if you put a you put a wrench in my hand and I'm, I'm almost entirely useless. And so um, I, I, I think I picked it up from him growing up because he always had some sort of project. And after the vet got sold, he waited a few years and then decided he needed a new project. And so he got a 1970 Dodge Dart, which you're probably not familiar with, but think nope. of like a family car, except only two doors. It was a coupe, not a four door. Uh, but it was a family car with a absurdly large V8 under the hood. And of course, it was a 1970 car. So the thing was like 800 feet long and 300 feet wide. And 
and despite that weighed almost nothing because, you know, there's no safety features, there's no computers or anything. So it was basically a, a moving engine with wheels. And he had had that until just a year or two ago, he finally sold it. And so mm-hmm. watching him rebuild these things and, and to some degree participating in it is, I think, what really got me into cars. And I ever since I can remember, I've been interested in cars and it's it's continued to this day. So we're going to put a link in the show notes, but um, you have a YouTube channel called Casey on Cars where you occasionally review a car. Um, do you have something in the pipeline right now? or? Uh... Yeah, so I actually have a bunch of footage which I filmed prior to my most recent video, okay. but, um, but because of the way timing worked out, I, I wanted to release. So my last two videos were reviews of the Volkswagen Volkswagen GTI, which is a very popular, even in Europe, um, uh, hot hatch. And then prior to that was a Volkswagen Golf R, which is the GTI, but hotter. (laughs) So um, in between filming the Golf R and the GTI, I actually filmed uh, a friend of ours. They went out of town for a week and let me borrow their Honda CRV, which is a very popular little SUV here in America. I'm not sure how Mm -hmm, popular mm -hmm. they are. It's popular here as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so I did a review of that. It's, It's effectively brand new. And I did a review of that. And so I have all the footage. I haven't had a chance to edit it yet. And in fact, I was just having a conversation with myself yesterday about how I really need to get my button gear and start editing that so mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. going to be the the task for the rest of this week and probably most of next week is getting getting that edited but that's already in the hopper and then i'm or well i shouldn't say it's in the hopper it, it's <laughs> it's you know filmed i just haven't edited and then uh i have something planned which i don't want to speak about in case it doesn't pan out but i think i can do something with an electric car or two and i hope to film that in the next couple of weeks i can't say for certain and i don't want to i don't want to get everyone excited and then disappoint (laughs) everyone if it doesn't work out but i'm trying to and theoretically it is all scheduled we'll just have to see if it ends up working out okay i'm trying to get my hands on a couple of electric cars that i think will be very interesting so hopefully that'll go okay we'll see what happens do you have golf e over there we do uh, except it's it's, i think they call it an e-golf here but Mm -hmm. it's yeah i'm sure it's the same thing um i have heard phenomenal things about it i have never seen one in in person and i have of course never driven or ridden in one but uh i have heard that they are tremendous have you been in one yeah we have a car sharing thing here so mm-hmm. where you can share uh, electric cars just like you have a app on your phone and you can reserve it and you can take it and you pay by mileage and uh, time mm-hmm. and they have a couple of electric cars like smarts you know the small ones and um, zoe's re- from reno and stuff like that there's a lot of weird ones and all of them like feel electric whereas golf or e-golf whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, feels like every other golf like you don't know you're in electric car other than it's quiet and it doesn't shift it just goes <laughs> yeah that's tremendous it really is and and you know i've driven a model s a handful of times the tesla model s a handful of times i've been in but not driven a model x i have mm-hmm. briefly driven a model three and they are all phenomenal phenomenal cars but to your point they're very different than mm-hmm, a traditional, mm-hmm. you know, petrol or, or gasoline car. You can tell from the moment you step in it. Yeah. Everything about it is different. And I think in the case of Tesla... Yeah, that's on purpose. Yeah, some of that is different for the sake of being different. Or, well, that sounds more negative than I mean it. It's just that, you know, they're... Yeah, no, but but, but it's true, right? They, they wanted to appear futuristic. Exactly, um, exactly. 
And and from what I understand, the golf is not like that. No, it's it's just like every other golf, and it also does not go as fast as Tesla's and other electric <laughs> cars. Goes, you know, it just feels sure. like a regular golf, not a GTI. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. So when you when you are going to rent a car, borrow or hire, however mm-hmm, you phrase mm-hmm. it, if you're going to to take one of these cars for a little, do you seek out the Golf E, the E Golf, whatever it's called, or do you just get whatever's closest to where you're standing? Uh, I just take whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I really don't care because usually I don't transport anything, just myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's you know it's very cool because I have a car. I have a Alpha uh, Giulietta, so not Giulia, the the small one. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you even have them in US. I don't think so. I am familiar with them in passing, but no, I do not believe we have them. That's that's fantastic. So now, well, you shouldn't have done that because now you here goes the entire rest of the podcast. <laughs> how long have you had it, and how many times has it actually been on the road and working? Because my impression as an American of Alfa Romeo is that they last for about ten minutes and then they basically just explode in your driveway. So this one I've had for a year and a half, but uh, before that I had a Alfa Romeo one forty seven. So so that's the model before mm-hmm. and i had it for 10 years and i bought used and i made three hundred eighty thousand kilometers in miles that's uh i know that's a whole heck of a lot Two hundred thirty-six thousand miles whoa golly that is a lot of time and and so this is the 147 yes in in 14 years the car was old and i i, I bought used i didn't buy it new mm-hmm and I didn't have any problems with that car whatsoever. Really? That's fantastic. It's it's amazing, that car. Um, Whereas this car just this two weeks ago died on me. Oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, luckily, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a big uh, uh, like damage. Well, not mm-hmm. damage. It was, it was, there was some computer malfunction, and they mm-hmm. changed that sensor shit, and now it works. Um, (laughs) and uh, it it wasn't even expensive but that was the first time in what so 12 years that I've had that I've owned Alphas that they like left me on the road Uh, that's that's really unfortunate but man what a pretty car yeah, yeah, it, that's that's why I like Alphas. Uh, they they stand out. Uh, not as much here because there are more of them. Sure, uh, but still, like I I really like the um, the design. Sometimes they go too far. Like they have some quirks that are really stupid. <laughs> but uh, I guess that's like for all the Italian cars. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, my first my my entry into doing these car reviews was a friend of mine, Sam Welsamid, who does the Wheel Bearings podcast. He had set me up with uh, the Alpha PR person, and they set me up with the uh, Julia Quadrifoglio. So mm-hmm. it's their, you know, bigger sedan with their twin turbo V6 under the hood, and that thing. Basically, a Ferrari engine, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It's it's basically a Ferrari V8, but they just you know cut two cylinders off the front <laughs> of it. But that thing was phenomenal, and and it was amazing. And it's in a, here in America, it's won like all of the you know best car of the year, ten you know car and drivers ten best, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But the rumors that I've heard is that they are not reliable. Now, mm. to be fair, it wouldn't surprise me if this is like confirmation bias because Americans generally think of Alphas as unreliable, and so as soon as one of the like press cars has even the slightest issue, of course, you know, say car and drivers like, oh, look at this Alpha. It's a piece of garbage. We all knew that was going to happen. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's really the case or not. But by word, I mean, my, just driving that thing when it was working, which I only had it for a week and it was working the whole time. <laughs> what a phenomenal car. And yeah, you're right. It was quirky in a lot of ways. But in, in the case of the Julia, it was not quirky in ways that I found particularly offensive. It was just kind of quirky. And mm-hmm. man, the Gioletta, what a great looking car. 
Yeah, what surprised me about Julia is that it sort of came out of nowhere. And even when they announced it, announced it and they said, oh, the top one is going to compete with M3, we were like, yeah, mm-hmm. of course it will. I mean, it will look <laughs> nicer, but it won't go as nice. Right. But then, like, when people actually, the people who know how to drive, like, not us, yeah, right, exactly. uh, when, when, when they put it around the track and it actually goes, I'm like, whoa, actually, they, they did something amazing there. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, sure, it's a high-performance car. So, as you know, those break down, uh, regardless of the brand, right? (sighs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yeah, and and what you're alluding to is I, up until very recently, had a BMW 3 Series that I'm convinced spent more time in the shop than it did in my driveway, (laughs) uh, which isn't actually true, but it sure felt that way. And so, yeah, I hear you. I I loved the Julia. I actually really like the Stelvio, too, which is the Mm. same general platform, but it's an SUV. And the, the Stelvio I had was not the hot rod version. It was not the Quattrofolio, but... It was still stunningly fun, especially for a car that tall and that big, which is usually not my cup of tea. But I, I was stunned by how well it handled, by how good it felt. Yeah. It was actually a really, really nice ride. Yeah, that's what I hear as well, even though I really don't care for SUVs. Like, I, mm-hmm. I prefer smaller cars and, you know, down close to the, to the, to the road. Yep. Uh, anyway, so how's, um, how's the whole YouTube experience for you? Like, this, uh, I guess... Um, People on YouTube are very different from podcast listeners or maybe even Twitter followers. Like the the kind of comments you can get on YouTube. I mean, sure, on Twitter there are many weird people as well. But um, uh, how is your how is your YouTube experience like? A uh, good asterisk. <laughs> it's generally <laughs> it's generally been pretty darn good, and for the most part, I've been extremely lucky because I've been able to leverage my my audience, and I feel like such a idiot saying that but i mean that's no, kind no, of what it is true. right I mean, yeah. yeah yeah and so i've been able to leverage my audience to get some amount of attention on youtube um and and i've been extremely lucky for that as well but you know it's funny in the particular line of work and in, in, in media that i tend to create for podcasts you know it's a bunch of nerdy topics and nerds, and I'm including myself, you know, we are many lovely things, but one of the things we are also is sticklers for being exact. <laughs> and so that means anytime you open your mouth or type something on the keyboard and post it somewhere, anytime you say just about anything, someone is going to say, oh, did you know that when you <laughs> said it was a 1970 Dodge Dart, it was actually a 1970 and a half Dodge Dart. Thank you very much. Well, actually. Well, actually. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and so because of that, to some degree, I think I was at least a little bit used to people people who are a little too pedantic about things, you know, people who are a little too obsessed with being exactly right about everything. And something that I've had to try to let roll off my shoulders and roll off my back is that, you know, if I say something that's marginally wrong on ATP, like, that's okay. I don't need to do follow-up about it. I don't need to correct it. As long as the spirit of what I'm saying is still fair and accurate, then it doesn't matter if I said, you know, an Apple A8 processor when it was really the A10 or, mm-hmm. you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Now, if it, if I'm ta- if I say something about the Apple A8 and I'm really talking about, you know, an old Pentium Pro or something like that, okay, yeah, then I should probably you know, talk about that the next episode. But something that's in the spirit of what I meant, whatever. And and so generally speaking, the feedback we get from the podcast is is lovely and it's almost always well-intentioned. It's very rare, and actually it hasn't been for a while, come to think of it, that we've gotten some real ugly, ugly email. Um, 
And so because of that, though, there was a time that we were getting a lot more ugly email, especially me as the kind of hanger on, at least early on. Oh, really? And nobody knew who, yeah, yeah, nobody knew who I was. And so I, we and I got a lot of feedback that was like, hey, you know, uh, this accidental tech podcast, it's great. I love Marco and I love John, but what's the story with this other idiot? Does he have to talk? Can we make him go away? Was this like addressed directly to you or was it, did you go to like the ATP email? Uh, either sometimes typically the ATP email, uh, also the iTunes reviews, especially early on were rough. Um, I don't encourage you to look at it, but if you really want to, <laughs> if you really want to make yourself feel feelings, then go ahead and look at the <laughs> iTunes reviews. Uh, I actually stopped looking at them because I felt like they were not constructive, not, not necessarily because they were bad all the time, but it just, it was not constructive at, at, at some point. Uh, unlike your show. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it, it was just it, it at some point it got to be enough. But yeah, I, I bring all this up to say that I think having that experience with podcasts and with Twitter was important to prepare myself for YouTube. Plus, you know, everyone knows that YouTube comments are just a cesspool and that's just part of the game. And it bums me out that that's the case. And I've certainly seen my fair share of people that are driving by and in, in, you know, spewing filth just for the fun of it and just for the lulls. But generally speaking, my YouTube comments have been completely reasonable and there have been a lot of criticisms but you know what i'm learning and there are things that are worth criticizing you know a wise man once said there's nothing so so perfect that it can't be complained about and so <laughs> you know there there's plenty of people that have said oh you know the audio sucked in this one or oh you went on too long about this thing and and those are fair criticisms and sometimes they're they're levied in polite ways sometimes mm -hmm. they're levied in angry nasty ways but by and large they're they're not unreasonable and so i think Having that thicker skin that it took a long time for me to build, mm. I think has been invaluable for YouTube because it's let me be more, more understanding and maybe even appreciative of the comments that I get at all. You know, the fact that anyone is commenting means somebody's watched enough to to say something, and that's a good sign. Yeah, no, definitely. I I mean, I, I've had um, not on that scope, but like similar experience when I. Uh, just starting uh, i was an event photographer before and when when i was starting and you like you got a lot well i got a lot of um ugly comments and stuff like oh this is why are you even doing this this is worthless you know stuff like that and i think all that like well at that time seemed really rough i'm really happy it happened because now internet doesn't phase me and like when someone says something stupid on twitter i'm like you're an idiot like not me like i don't care like why would why would my day be ruined because you're the idiot i'm not right yeah yeah and i try to remember exactly that and something that um one of my favorite podcasters if not my favorite podcaster is is merlin mann and he has said so many brilliant things oftentimes in passing that have really stuck with me and something that he said, and I don't recall when or where he said it, but I feel like it was a long time ago and it might've been on back to work, uh, which is another podcast with Dan <laughs> Benjamin. Um, he said something like he tried, and I'm going to butcher the, the story here, but he, what he basically said was a lot of times he either does or wants to reply with, um, I'm sorry, but I don't argue on the internet. And I haven't yet embraced that, but every time I see like an angry tweet or an angry YouTube comment, I always see like Merlin's head dancing around in front of me <laughs> saying, are you sure you want to argue on the internet? And there are times that I do what you just said and that I do what Merlin's implying, which is I walk away and leave it alone. And I'm getting better and better with better at that with time. But it's still it's deeply frustrating when someone's like, hey, you're an idiot, Casey. 
like, well, what the hell, man? Like, let's, let's, let's unpack this. Why do you think I'm such an idiot? Let's talk about this. Let me convince you how wrong you are, which of course <laughs> never works. It never, I mean, no, I've never. done this, I've done this a handful of times and it's worked. I probably done, well, more than a handful over the last six years, I've probably done this a couple hundred times. And I think like three or four times it's actually ended with, <laughs> huh? Okay, Casey, I get it. You're right. But I mean, that's not a good batting average. No, I mean, cause you, you have to think about it. Like what kind of a person would write a comment like that? Right. It's, exactly. It's, so exactly. Yeah. No, you're it, exactly right. Th- there are some people that just like are better to be left alone. And I think that's even, that's the worst. So I- if you are that kind of person, the worst thing that can happen to you is being ignored. So I, I think like if, by ignoring them, you're infuriating them even more. So that's the best thing you can do. Yeah, that's what I keep trying to tell myself. It doesn't always <laughs> work. But to go back to like the nerds, the, the nerds got a nerd thing from earlier. Th- yeah. It's tough sometimes to be able to figure out what is a nerd that is well-intentioned correcting me saying, you, well, you said a eight processor, but you really meant a nine. Mm. And what is a jerk being like, hey, you moron, it's a nine, <laughs> not a eight. Because nerds, and again, I am including myself in this, nerds don't always have the best kind of manners and, and, and social skills. And so sometimes I'll mistake something that is very well-intentioned from the perspective of the author as being just straight up nasty. Yeah. And, and th- I don't know where the problem lies. Is it that I'm assuming nastiness? I, I think the problem is the medium just like text. Text without, especially without emojis, it's very hard to, to understand what the other person really meant. And it's so easy to misunderstand them. Um, I, I see, so I work remotely and I see this on a daily occurrence. Like I, I write something and to, to me, it's completely clear what I meant, but mm-hmm. the other person reads it another way. And then like two days later, I figure, like I, I, I find out that there was like a, this huge misunderstanding and they, they think, I think they are an idiot, but like what, right, right, right. what I really said was something else. But, you know, um, a text is very, very hard to um um, have a communication in just text because even like even like this even just talking you can hear my voice going up you, up you can you can like uh, hear when it's a question or when I'm laughing if I said the same thing with a straight face it would mean something different exactly but on text you can't see that you don't see emotion emotions you don't see face expressions you know yeah I, I completely agree and it's just it's hard because I I try to assume positive intent. But sometimes, man, nerds can be the worst. <laughs> so, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, it, it 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 gets the best of me or the worst of me, really. And and it's just hard. But you know, ultimately, it's it's important for for me and for us to recognize that, you know, like I said a few minutes ago, somebody has consumed something I created, be it a tweet, be it an Instagram post, be it a video, be it a two-hour podcast. And they have listened, read, watched, you know, looked at something that I've created. And there are not a lot of people, you know, compared to the population of, of the country, of the, of the world, you know, there's not a lot of people that have any modicum of audience past people they already know. And so the fact that, that you and I can talk to strangers and get a response, like, that is really cool. Sometimes it comes with some bad sides, but generally speaking, that's really cool, and we're, and we're both very lucky. Yeah, no, and, and I, I agree, absolutely. I'm just saying that um, uh, having a thicker skin on, on the internet is, uh, is a good thing, and ignoring people always helps. 
Um, yeah, I feel like now I'm going to have your head next to Merlin saying, Casey, <laughs> leave it alone. Just walk away. Just walk away. <laughs> um, and uh, how's your uh, ad revenue been like? Uh, in, on YouTube, it's been piss poor, but it's to be expected. Uh, let's see. I can actually tell you because it's so hilariously small that it's not going to offend anyone. Give me a second here. But suffice to say, it has been not a lot. And all told, like uh, as much as I snark and I kid, I've made a lot more than I expected, which is super awesome. As YouTube reloads, it's thinking, <laughs> this is great. They're great podcast content. Yeah, great podcasting. <laughs> $68.53, which all told... I'm actually pretty darn happy with, to be honest. <laughs> like, it's not enough to quit my job. Well, never mind. You get my point. Too, but, too late for that. Know, it, it, yeah, exactly. But all, all kidding aside, you know, my hope is that at, at some point I will be able to diversify away from only podcasting. Mm-hmm. And and one of the ways that I'm hoping to do that is YouTube. And is it realistic? Of course not. It's hilariously you know, unrealistic. But if $60 in, what is that, three or two or three months, if $60 can become $100, that's not bad. If $100 can be $200, hey, that's like a bill. That's like an electric bill or a cell phone bill or something like that. If $200 becomes $500, you know, now we're talking real money. You know, that's that if, if I got $500 a month from YouTube, which I don't ever expect, but for the sake, for the sake of this, you know, hypothetical, that's serious money. And it's not quite yeah. your job money, but that's serious, like makes a positive noticeable dent on my family's mm-hmm. finances kind of money and so if i if i get off my butt and start releasing videos more frequently then hopefully i can make that that number climb up uh, do you only want to do uh, like car reviews or did you ever think about talking or explaining one thing uh, of a car like one one uh, post that i randomly came across that i uh, passionately agree with is like inflating tires people don't inflate their tires they don't check their tire pressure at all and they they should really do that. And um, like, did you ever think about making an educational video like that? Uh, I've contemplated it. A lot of people have asked for a tutorial on how to wash your car. And I think that's because people assume that because I do it all the time, I'm particularly good at it. And I don't know if that's really the case. <laughs> you know, I do enjoy washing my car. I have strong opinions about the way in which I like to do it. But I, I feel like the most religious conversation you can have amongst a gear or petrol head is hey, man, how do you wash your car? Because people get real particular about that real quick, as I do, as I just said. Well, that's that's one way to like reel in views and then just disable comments and uh, you're done. Yeah, that's a fair point. See, I need you to help me game the system is what it boils <laughs> down to. But I, don't, I, I, I certainly think that there's some amount of appetite for it. I certainly think that certain subjects, I could be good at doing that. Not all of them, but certain ones. And your your tire pressure thing, that's a great one. And, and right now here in America, we're at the time of year, and I presume that's true of most areas, we're at the time of year where the temperatures are swinging pretty pretty wildly. And mm-hmm. now is the time you want to check the pressure on your tires. And and that's, that post, which I don't even remember how long ago that was, but I put it on my uh, my blog a couple of years ago now, that post, that post was because my father-in-law, who is generally a pretty mechanically inclined fella, he would look at the maximum tire inflation pressure as written on the sidewall of the tire and assume that's how he should inflate his tires. And I found this out and I nearly fell over dead when I saw him do that because, you know, he was <laughs> pumping up these tires that should have been at like 30 PSI to something like 60 PSI or whatever. And I was like, no, no, no. What are you doing? No, stop. Walk away. Just walk away. Have you not seen the thing on the inside of the driver's door? You've never seen this. Let me tell you. And so 
so that's what the the genesis of that post was yeah doing some educational videos or anything like that or just explaining like i don't know how like dual clutch works for example mm-hmm. um those kind of videos generally share well you know you you would share with someone look what you're doing with your tires this is what you should do yeah yeah that's a really good point i'll have to think about that because there uh, uh, there's not a lot that i feel like i i could pull off well but but tire inflation is one of those things i think i could (laughs) i could take care of pretty well yeah but i I mean you have you have time to just like educate yourself on the topic and then you can have all script written just a lot of b-roll and have like two minute video out you know yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. I'll have to put that on the to-do list. Yeah, and going to something completely different, um, I I I think I heard with uh, on on your discussion with Mike that you um, started running like a year or something, something like that ago. Yeah, a little over a year, year and a half maybe. And you you went with the uh, Couch to Five K, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget the the specific name of the app. But oh, it was yeah, I mean in it's that like the, mm-hmm. the uh, training that's called Couch to Five K, and. Yep, yep, um, yep. Do do you still do you still run? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just yesterday, I went for a run and it was terrible. <laughs> yes, uh, I try to do it three times a week. It okay. doesn't always work out. I average probably two ish times a week, but I try to do at least three. And how much do you run on those days? Generally speaking, I'll run five thousand meters. Um, okay, so that's a little over three three miles. I, I speak kilometers, so you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so for you, it's even better. Um, but the last couple of times. Probably, if I'm honest with myself, because I wasn't pushing as hard as I I really should. Uh, not this, not yesterday. Yesterday was just terrible. But the time before that, um, it was a beautiful day. Like the temperature was just perfect, and um, it was something like 60, 65 degrees, which is something to the order of like 10 or 15 Celsius. I think I'm doing that off the top of my head, so I might have that wrong. Whatever you think of as like normal room temperature <laughs> minus a few degrees. Right. So. It was really, really pretty out. And I finished my 5,000 meters and, and thought to myself, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. Let me just keep going. And and I ended up going something like four, four and a half miles. So mm. figure like 6,000-ish meters, give or take a little bit, which for me was the first time I'd ever really bridged the like three to three and a half mile barrier. You know, mm-hmm, sometimes mm-hmm. I would run a little bit more than 5K, but it would only be probably a few hundred more meters. It wouldn't be too terribly much more. And this time it was it was legitimately like a whole nother mile. And I was really happy with that. And my time is pretty poor. I usually do like a nine minute mile. Oh, but that's fine. That's that's what I'm saying always to people who start running. Like, go slow. If if you think you're going slow, go slower. Because um, like, <laughs> there is like the, the the best thing you can do for your body is just to ease in. If if you're just gonna you know hitting the wall constantly, then that's a pretty poor training, and you're gonna feel like shit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so just yeah, go go slower and go yeah longer distances that. And like you said, it makes you feel really good when when you like make it further. Yeah, and even just a little bit more than five k, I always felt happy about. But when I ended up doing like a substantial amount more, I, I, I mean, that was Monday, I think, and this is Thursday that we're recording, and I'm still on cloud nine about that. <laughs> you know? I'm still really enthusiastic, even despite that piss poor run in the middle on Wednesday. I'm still really enthusiastic about Monday's run, and and it's shown me. You know, it, it really was like a barrier, a mental barrier, mm-hmm. maybe a physical one, but definitely a mental one that I just couldn't push through. Like I couldn't get myself past roughly three and a half miles. So something like, I don't know, 5,200 kilometers or something like that. And and finally, I was able to do it. And and now now that I've done it once, I know it can be done. Well, well obviously it can be done, but you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That, no, no, I don't know what you mean. Yeah. And so now, you know, I'm hoping that my 
typical 5k runs will maybe ease into to your point they'll ease into 5200 kilometers or you know 5500 kilometers maybe even 6000 kilometers and so over time my my 3 mile runs are going to become 4 and 5 and maybe even 6 mile runs and my hope is that sometime in the next 6ish months I can run a 10k which is about as small as I typically see a it's not a marathon but you know a a, a road race and yeah, yeah. and I would want to do it not because of the speed aspect not because no, no. I care about how fast I do it I just want to be able to say I ran a 10k and then once yeah. you run a 10k I would assume it's not well, it is a lot harder, but it's not that much harder to run, uh, you know, a full-on marathon. And I'm not saying I'm angling toward that, but well, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's further away. But half marathon, I think it's doable. Oh, that's actually really I completely forgot about that step. You're exactly yeah. right. And so, you know, it's, I think a 10k and then maybe a half marathon. I think I don't know if I have any particular interest in a full marathon like that. I don't even feel like that's a stretch goal at this point. But mm. but I, I would real I would love to be able to do a half marathon. Mm. I think that is a stretch goal, and the 10k is a is a casual goal that I'd like to hit sometime in the next year, but I'm not, I'm not yet actively doing anything to hit that goal. You know, I'm not doing a new training program at this point, Mm -hmm. but I would like to do it. But ultimately I'm just enthusiastic and excited that I'm doing anything because why did you even start? Why? Uh, Because I'm getting older and I would (laughs) like to be here longer than I probably would have been otherwise. So, um, you know, it was when my, my kid, my, well, when Declan, my my son, was born, he was three-ish, I guess, when I started doing this, or two and a half. And it just, I, I kept looking at him and thinking, you know, I am extremely sedentary, and that's not healthy. And I am getting ever so slightly heavier over time. I wouldn't say I'm, you know, a hundred pounds heavier than I was in high school, but. Um, I, I certainly think I carry a little more weight than I should by five, maybe ten pounds. And so, I don't, I don't necessarily run specifically to lose weight, although it would be nice if I did, but I'm more running to make sure that I keep everything under control. Like Mm -hmm. if I stay this weight for the rest of my life, I'd be okay with that. I'd like to be less, but I'd be okay with it. But I really just want to make sure I have some sort of aerobic activity and that I don't get any bigger. And, Mm -hmm. and so I started running, I did that couch to 5k. And again, I forget the name of the specific app, but to your point, any of them are really equivalent. The idea is, you know, you, you, you walk a bit, you jog a bit, you walk a bit, you jog a bit. And typically the jog is like, you know, 30 seconds. And I remember my first day doing the couch to 5k, I ran the hell out of those 30 seconds. And I was like, (laughs) Oh, I am solid. I'm going to plow through this couch to 5k in like two sessions. And then by the end of that first session, I was dead. I was on the, I was on the side of the road dead. And so it, it was quickly apparent to me exactly what you said, that you got to ease into it. But over the course of, I think it was nine weeks in the program I did, I presume that's normal. Uh, over the course of nine weeks, I went from being able to run you know, maybe 30 seconds to a minute without getting seriously winded. So just this past Monday, I ran, you know, four plus miles. And, mm-hmm. and that's been that's been really fantastic. And I, I don't think I'm to the point of a Casey Neistat where if I don't run every day for 300 hours, you know, that I, that I feel like <laughs> something's wrong. But if I go, if I go several days without it, I start to get a little itchy. And I think mm-hmm. that's a very good sign. So I yeah, take yeah. it from these questions that you, you that you run at least periodically. Yeah, I, I run almost every day. Oh, good for you. How far? Um, th- Like 10k daily. Oh, man, good for you. I'm jealous. It's it's very similar to how I started. I just I was much more ambitious with my goals. Not uh, not not good for my health, but like my <laughs> my goal was to to run a half marathon just out of nowhere. That's bold. And I remember, yeah, and I remember going on on my first uh, like training. I think I followed Runkeeper plan, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I followed the training, and it was like three k or something. And I I 
couldn't do like 1.5k something like that i could barely run after that and i was like how am i ever gonna run 21k when i can't even do like a three yep yep um, yep but that's one thing that's so cool about uh, running and any physical activity like you see the progress like you you see how good you're progressing and how fast everything goes and just like one day you couldn't even run i don't know two kilometers and then like i don't know two weeks later you can just breeze by it you don't even you don't yeah. even mind yeah it's it's really been tremendous and i think you know i've never really done any strength training for any serious amount of time or anything like that but what i can say is is i can reiterate what you just said is that with running it my experience has been with almost anyone i've spoken to you see the progress and you see it fairly quickly now yeah. you can certainly plateau as i did at about 5k but especially early on, especially if you're as out of shape as I was, you see that progress real quick. And mm-hmm. and it's, and what's wonderful about the Couch to 5K kind of programs is that they, they deliberately ease you into it. And so it's very easy to see, well, I remember that, that last week I could only run 30 seconds and I was winded. And now I just ran 30 seconds and I feel great. And then you know, the following week, I just ran a minute and I'm a little winded, but man, remember two weeks ago when I ran 30 seconds and almost fell over, you know? And yeah. so you can see it so easily. And yep. that's yep. that's one of the things I love so much about running. It's probably terrible for my joints and, and, or, and you could argue it's terrible for my body, but the choice I made was that, look, me doing any sort of athletic activity, even something that's a little bit physically strenuous you know that's way better than me just sitting behind a ch- or sitting on a chair behind a computer all day and so anything is better than nothing yeah but one, one thing that i also recommend to people who start running is to to find a running club or a coach because you know you, you start any activity you will find a coach you don't just like uh, do something because you know but running everyone thinks oh this is you just go for a run like i know how to run like i'm I, i'm born a human of course i know how to run but <laughs> I think it's very good to like um, even have a couple of hours of sessions with with some sort of trainer who will like tell you the basics of techniques. And um, once you do that, it's much easier to run. Yeah, yeah. And another thing I should do, and I've had on the to do list for forever, but haven't gotten around to, is go somewhere to get like fitted for proper running shoes. Yeah. Because I mean, I have just you know what what I would call sneakers, what some other people would call tennis shoes or trainers. Uh, it's all effectively the same thing. But there are plenty of places in in the area that I live that are happy to fit you for honest to goodness running shoes. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not cheap, but it's reasonably priced all told. Yeah, compared to other sports running yeah exactly and and uh, if i was going to cheap out on anything cheaping out on my own health is probably not the place to do it and so uh it's on my to-do list to do sometime is to go to a local running store and 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 bring them my busted shoes that i use (laughs) now and say hey help me pick out something that's better for me and compared to your health insurance costs this is not yeah this is this is not even on the radar much less like a drop in the bucket yeah but i really recommend you to pick a, a race maybe a 10k and just like sign up. Yeah, I know you're right. There's a there's a 10k in in Richmond. Probably. So I live in Richmond, Virginia, which is mm-hmm. on the east coast of the United States. While well, I live in a suburb outside of it, and there's a a I don't know if historical is the right word, but there's a a traditional race uh, called the Monument Avenue 10k that is that's been going on for almost 20 years now. And oh, according to Wikipedia, it's the fourth largest 10k in the country. <laughs> and um, and so. I've told myself for years, having been in this area for about a decade now, 
one day I want to do that. And so I think me doing that four miles the other day was my subconscious brain trying to start kind of casually prepping for it because it's yeah. run in March or April, I think something like that. And so, um, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of, I think my, my subconscious brain has already decided it's happening. It just yeah, hasn't just, convinced my conscious just, just brain. Just sign yet. up, sign up and then you'll have no excuses, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I probably should. Ah, yeah. And then, then you have like a, a big goal and a big motivation and it's, it's much easier to, um, kick yourself out to, to start running. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. And, and I know that there are training programs, you know, as you said earlier for, you know, 10 K and whatnot. And since it worked so well for my five K, I can't imagine it would be so terrible to find a 10k training program that that's two or three days a week where you know you just it, you just run different distances at different paces and and get yourself used to it. Anyway, um, enough with my recommendations. Uh, what would be three things that you could recommend to to the listeners? And oh, if God, you listen to the this. previous yeah. one, you I know did, what's going on. I did, and I forgot right? to think about it. Oh man, I'm so angry at myself. Uh, okay, so the first book is by an author called Blake Crouch, I believe. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. Yes, a, a book by the author Blake Crouch, who wrote the Wayward Pines trilogy, which I have read and was good. But the book I'd actually like to recommend is a book called Dark Matter, which is a very fascinating sci-fi book, not in the like spaceships, you know, pew, pew, pew kind of sci-fi, <laughs> but in the more, in the more, this is the sort of thing that you could foresee happening in reality, but it's clearly not reality. Does that make sense? You know, so it's... So like Black Mirror kind of things or... Uh, you know, I'm not as familiar with Black Mirror, but oh, from, what okay. I, from what little I know of it, yes. Okay. And so it's the sort of thing where you could see these sorts of things happening, even though today it is not possible. And so again, it's Dark Matter by Blake Crouch, a really, really good book, really quick read. Um, I don't want to tell you too much about it because I feel like I'll give a lot of it away, but it was a lot of fun okay. and I really enjoyed it. And speaking of books, the other one, the other ones I've really enjoyed are the Scott Harveth series by the author Brad Thor. So um, this starts with the Lions of Lucerne, and that's the first book in the series. There is an asterisk on this, which I'll tell you in a second, but they're kind of like, if you've read The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown, it is not probably the most academic or advanced writing but they're <laughs> phenomenally quick reads yeah and these books are very quick thriller reads in the spirit of da vinci code but more about like you know uh, jason Bourne style character okay almost in the spirit of tom clancy's books and and jack ryan so it's i like to describe brad thor as you smash uh, Tom Clancy and and Dan Brown together, and that's that's kind of what these are. Now, okay, phenomenally fun reads, uh, really really exciting. The the asterisk, however, is that if you watch every single woman in every single one of his like thirty books is described as being stunningly drop dead, unbelievably attractive without fail, and I just find that to be a little distasteful in kind of backwards like of course you can have a, a pretty woman that's fine but the fact that every single woman in every one of his books is described in excruciating detail how pretty she is like that's a little bit gross that that's a little bit gross but all told the books are really good so if you can get past that they're great okay and then my final recommendation is a podcast that i just got turned on to in the last week by my friend todd vaziri uh, todd works for industrial light and magic and is obviously a film aficionado and he turned me on to one heat minute 
It's a podcast where a super fan of the 1995 uh, Michael Mann movie Heat has guests on and they dissect this almost three hour movie one minute at a time. So each of the episodes is one is about one minute of heat. And wow. at first I was like, you've got to be <laughs> kidding me with this nonsense. No freaking way. But over, over the last few years, in no small part because of Todd, I've come to really love heat the film. Okay. And I started listening to this, this podcast and I listened to the first episode and I was like, okay, that's good. And I listened to the second episode. And you know, of course the first two episodes are basically like the opening montage, you know, <laughs> there's like, there's little else. And yet somehow they got like 40 minutes of content out of it. Oh, wow. um, and then, but anyway, but as I, as I've listened, I'm on like episode eight or nine now or something like that. And it is already getting really good. And so <laughs> if you're willing to go on a hilariously deep dive on a, what is it 20 year old almost 30 year old movie now um it it is really really good mm. and and people think i'm weird when i listen to like three or four incomparable <laughs> after the star wars is out you know yeah exactly or when uh, like one of my favorite podcasting moments of all time was john syracuse and dan benjamin doing something like four hours on the movie goodfellas which itself <laughs> yeah. was like two or three hours long and and i I listened to that and i love goodfellas i listened to that and i remember starting it in the same way as one heat minute thinking this is going to end up being and i love john but this is going to end up being boring and i'm going to turn it off and by the end of it i wanted more which is a very 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 yeah. good sign so if you if you like the film give it a shot but if you don't then that's totally fine too um well great thank you casey for uh, your recommendations and for your time and for for everything oh thank you so much thank you so much it's been a blast and uh and if you ever get bored and want to do it again just let me know <laughs> sure i will thank you thank you all right this is my interview with casey parallel passion is still a new podcast sharing with your friends and followings helps us a lot just send out a tweet or post a link on your facebook you want your friends to enjoy a good podcast right if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, I'd love to see a new review there. We have a couple, but there's never too many. If you use a different app like Breaker, Overcast, or anything that supports liking or favoriting, I'd appreciate your action there as well. This podcast is free, but you can also support it with your hard-earned money. So I would invite you to do so by visiting patreon.com slash That's patreon.com slash P-A-R-P-A-S-B-O-T or open the show notes in your podcast app and follow the Patreon link there. Every dollar goes towards covering the hosting costs and hopefully one day new audio gear. Thank you. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We are at PurposePod on all of them. All the links from this episode are in the show notes and on our website parallelpassion.com 17. Thank you for listening and have a passionate day.